Welcome to another edition of the Business and Life Channel by Peter Daniels. Here, every week, we explore business and life through interviews, stories, and shared information. You'll meet some amazing people and gain valuable understanding of not only what people have achieved in business and life, but their thinking behind their achievements, their motivations, their struggles, and victories. You'll pick up on the lessons they've learned, the things they did on their business and life journey that worked, why they did it, and maybe even some things they wouldn't do again. So let's join Peter for this week's episode. We trust that you enjoy it. Well, here I am today with Mike Pearl from House Inspect Australia, and uh, I've known Mike now, I reckon it was about seven or eight years, Mike. Would that be about right? Yeah, be pushing seven, I'd say. Pushing seven? Yeah, okay. So Mike's been a client of mine now for about seven years and he's got this business where he goes around and he has a team of people going around inspecting property. But I wanted to have a chat with you about your story as well as what you're doing now, Mike. So you have an interesting birth date, don't you? Do you want to tell us about that? Oh, yeah, I do. Uh, it was a long time ago. Uh, but yeah, I was. Yeah? One, one, one seventy one. So the 1st of January 1971. Wow. Okay. So you'd, you'd be one of those people who probably they took a television crew down to uh, take a, a take of you being uh, new to the new year. And uh, I think you even got off to a good start with uh, some money in your bank account for that. What, what happened there? Yeah, so I was I was born at the Calvary Hospital in North Adelaide, and uh, mm-hmm. because I was the uh, one of the first babies born in '71, Mum and Dad got given a fifty dollar Commonwealth Bank bank account uh, to start me off in my life, which was a lot of money then because Dad was only ninety two dollars a week. So that's like half a half a week's wage. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well done. Uh, uh, that's good. Now, your dad was a builder too, is that right? And your grandfather? Yeah, so dad's family moved to, to Australia in 51. It's uh, the mm-hmm. 10-pound poms. Dad's family were able to come across because granddad was a, a skilled tradesman. He was a stonemason. We don't have many stonemasons anymore. Most of them are bricklayers now. No, but, we don't. Yeah, so, so 51, they came across granddad, grandma, and five children. Uh, one Norman, uh, sorry, four children. One Norman was already here. Um, mm-hmm. And the sixth one, the eldest, Stanley, stayed stayed back in England. So they moved to a uh, town just out of Clare called Armagh, uh, uh, to a little farm there. Had two bedrooms, so between... Uh, grandma, grandma, and the and and the four kids. It was fairly tight in there, but they grew mm. uh, olive trees and had dairy cows. Wow, that would that would have been uh, quite a different experience for them coming from England to there. And did you say two bedroom house back then? A two bedroom house, yeah. Wow. Okay. Well, N- and- needless to say, they had no more children when they moved to Australia. Absolutely, yeah. Um, that <laughs> curtailed things. Let's just leave it at that. Hey, um, so. Yeah. A stonemason, I don't think too many people would know what a stonemason is now, Mike. Do you want to explain that? Yeah, so they were building in an era, particularly in the UK, where um, everything was built out of stone. We didn't have uh, so much brick over there. We certainly didn't have what we call a brick veneer house where you've got a timber frame and then a, an external cladding of, of, of brick. They were built solid stone, you know, like 300, 400 mil wide walls, 
which is purely because that was the material they had, but also, um, you know, they had the added benefits of being, you know, a thermally uh, a good structure. You know, when it, when they heated up, they stayed warm, and when they cooled down, uh, they stayed cool. So they were they were good for their, particularly for their winters. So which in Australia, I mean, that just morphed into becoming a bricklayer. So Dad's older mm. brother uh, Norm became a bricklayer, uh, as as my dad did. Dad after. Probably seven or eight years of laying bricks decided that there's probably easier ways to work in the building industry. So he went on then to become a carpenter. And bricklaying, it uh, might surprise you to know that my dad was a bricklayer too. They're highly sought after now uh, for their skill and ability to be able to get those bricks done really, really quickly and, and well. So, um, And then you, you were brought up sort of in the inner northern areas of Adelaide, Newton. What was that like when yeah, you were so, being brought up? Um, so I was born in 71, and we uh, lived in Lewis Crescent in Newton uh, until 81. So it looked a, a great area to grow up, interesting times. I mean, it was obviously it was a, it was a massive Italian, Italian community, uh, as it still is. So yeah, I went to went to Campbelltown Primary School, so I was one of only a few kids there with a fritz and sauce sandwich, I could tell you. <laughs> uh, fritz and sauce sandwich, that's even taking something back now um, that some people wouldn't know about, Mike. Mm-hmm. Maybe we need to explain what Fritz is. It's compressed meat that um, you'd put in a sandwich. So, But Newton, yeah. I would imagine, Newton, Campbelltown, um, those days, there'd still be a, f- a few wild areas, I would imagine, out there, um, some some countryside, some undeveloped uh, land. Yeah, there's still a lot of market garden out that way, which is uh, great to see. It hasn't all been hasn't all been turned into 300 square metre blocks yet. I'm sure that will happen at, at some time in the future. But yeah, it's still a very much a market garden area as well. So it's a good mixture. And then you moved across town to Brighton. I understand um, different kettle yeah. of fish, Brighton, but uh, went to Brighton High School. You played rugby. I understand. Tell, tell us a bit about a bit about that. I've always liked my my footy AFL. My uh, tech studies teacher at Brighton High School, I got on really well with him. Obviously, I, I, I liked doing the technical work at school, and he was the, he was the rugby coach. So I was I was a pretty big thirteen year old kid. He suggested I should come out and train some rugby with him, and I went out. and The first game I played, I loved it, and then went on to play for uh, my whole time at school and and played for Brighton Brighton Club as well, which was a Brighton Club is a very very successful club in the rugby union community in South Australia. Oh, Brighton Club was um, yeah, a very successful club. I mean, most of the uh, most of the Brighton Club formed the state team. The, the Brighton coach was the state coach. The Brighton strapper was the state strapper. I mean, it was a, yeah, a very successful club. And uh, work-wise, what were you doing, Mike, in those days? You left school. What sort of work did you do? Look, I left school. I finished year ten. School wasn't wasn't my thing. So, uh, Dad, I think like most parents would, would have said back then, said, "Oh, that's fine. You can leave school, but you have to have a job. So, you either go to school or you work. That's that's your choice in life." So, I was fortunate enough that obviously Dad ran our family business, our, our building company. So, I was able to to go and do an apprenticeship with Dad, which would have paid me one hundred and twenty dollars a week gross. And meant you're out of bed at half past five in the morning and on a job site by by seven. And no matter whether it was forty degrees or twelve degrees, you were at work. And knock off time was when the job was finished, basically. So it was long, long work, hard work, hard days. School was looking good, so I ended up uh, getting. Remember when you used to look for jobs in the paper and you'd circle them and ring up for a job. I mm-hmm. found one in the mm-hmm. local paper uh, to go and work in a in a used car yard washing cars. 
and that paid a lot more than $120 a week. So I said to Dad, that's that's me, that's what I'm going to go and do. Yeah, right. Okay. So from there, what did you do, Mike? I really enjoyed it. I mean, I, I like cars. Cars have very much been a, a big part of my life. Um, I still play with around with cars now. So I graduated through. I, I, I learned the car industry as it was then. So after probably six or nine months of you know being the, the yard boy, uh, washing cars and running around and so forth, I got a chance to do some uh, selling on Saturday mornings uh, or Thursday nights and uh, not long from there um, ended up with a, a full-time role selling used cars about three years uh, after three, three years of selling and then I went out and uh, and opened up my own my own car yard when I was 21. Wow and, and so how did that go um, having your own car yard I would imagine there'd be uh, some learning curve there too being a business owner rather than just a salesperson. Yeah look, a, a lot of fun. Uh, really enjoyed it, and and I did it. Uh, I, I did it for probably until about nineteen. Yeah, it was my son, my son was born ninety three, so until about nineteen ninety eight, I did it until my my son had started uh, primary school. And purely by then, because all day Saturday trading had came in, so you know there was no no more the twelve o'clock knock off on a Saturday. And I really wanted to do Saturday morning mm-hmm. footy. And you know, be be part of that. I decided that I was going to have a career change, and I uh, ultimately got out of the car industry and ended up right back where Dad wanted me to to be, and back in the building industry. Back in the building industry, okay. And so yeah. you got a job with Weeks, um, selling steel building frames, and um, and and working with them. Tell us a bit about that. Yeah, it's a really uh, a great time. Uh, with the Weeks Building Group, so they've, they've got a. Uh, well, they had then a, a another company uh, which was called SBS um, Steel Building Systems, which ultimately became the business as uh, mm. most people know uh, called Superlock, uh, which is a steel framing business, which was a, a system that was developed and uh, and manufactured uh, here in in South Australia by the. Weeks Building Group. Kevin Weeks was a just a, a, a massive driver in the industry to, to drive that change into steel framing within the, the, the South Australian building industry. So really, really enjoyed it. Started there just selling product, so two, two builders, so um, trade sales, if you like. Just invaluable experience. What I learned from Kevin in how to conduct yourself within the building industry, how to run a business, what things you should you need to look at, and 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 how you take care of your your staff and people was um, yeah invaluable. That would have been invaluable, and and I think he then rose to a manager's role in New South Wales. How did that happen? So Superlock had a a, a plant or an operation in New South Wales in Newcastle, so about one hundred and eighty kilometres north of Sydney, and the 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 guy uh, that was then the general manager for the for the group from Adelaide was over in Newcastle, so. They've been having a few uh, growing problems over there, and he he rang me one night and uh, said, "Don't know what we can do over here. Don't know. There's got some problems. We're just going to need to find the right guy to make it happen." And I was just on the phone. I said, "Well, I'll do it." And it was a bit taken back. He said, well, "What do you mean?" I said, "Well, I'll just do it. I'll do it. You know, if there's a job there, there's a challenge. Love a challenge. I'll do it." At that stage, I mean, it was uh, it was about 2001. So Blake, my son, was probably eight years old. Um, at that time, I was a, a, a single dad. His mother and I had divorced. So I had custody of Blake. He lived with me uh, his, his his whole life. So I just said, well, yeah, Blake and I, we'll, we'll go. 
Gee, I reckon within six weeks we were in the car driving to Newcastle and going, that's where we're moving to. Never never been there in my life until the day we moved there. And and I've been to Newcastle a few times. It, it is a bit different. It was an old steel town back then, wasn't it? Um, and it's sort of had the remnants of a steel town. Absolutely. But um, then working for them, um, you progressed and then sort of went back into the building industry again, apart from looking after the still building frames, you, you went back into the building industry as a supervisor. <laughs> um, you must have really yeah. uh, enjoyed that or missed it or, uh, yeah. <laughs> Tell us about it. Well, I, I, I really enjoyed my time in Newcastle. I was there uh, until end of 2010. You know, I've still got a, a very strong relationship with Newcastle, but 2010, mum and dad, dad had had a stroke in 2007 um, and couldn't, couldn't continue work. By 2010, though, they, they, you know, I mean, and mum and dad weren't old for that time, but they were older than what their age was. Um, I just felt like we needed to come back to Adelaide and spend some more time with them, particularly Blake, to get to spend more time with his grandparents. I wanted to spend more time uh, with my parents. I, I'm Heather, my now wife, mm. who was who was my partner back then. Um, so yeah, we and she was from Adelaide too. So it just sort of made sense that we all, all moved back to Adelaide, So which what we, what we did. So we, we moved back with um, nothing lined up, no jobs, no house, nothing nothing lined up at all. So um, oh. I, initially, I initially got a job. Uh, they were building the desail plant then, so I got a job in the desail plant driving a forklift, and Heather was doing um, mm-hmm. uh, baskets of people's ironing um, until we found, found work. So I, uh, I, I initially uh, got a job for a building company as their construction manager. Heather went on to do far better things than me, and she's a, uh, a special needs teacher at, um, at mm-hmm. a local primary school. And I really respect what you say about Heather um, and the work that she does. Maybe you can remind everyone um, about heroism and, uh, uh, and and some of the things that people do to help those who have need. Oh, absolutely. Look, I mean, look, we, um, through our business and House Inspect Australia, look, we've, we've um, got plenty of accolades for what we do, but, I mean, seriously, we just look after building houses. It's not, we're not changing people's lives. What Heather does uh, and all the SSOs out there, uh, and then school teachers, I mean, I know some of them get a, a rough time because they, you know, they're all reminded that they get all these holidays a year. They don't get any more holidays than, than anyone else. I mean, they, uh, the kids that have, special requirements it takes a special person to, to look after them i think i said to you in, in one of my texts you know uh, and it, it's uh, everyone knows the saying you know not all heroes wear copes the, the work they do mm. um it's it's thankless in areas because some of the kids don't understand the help that they're getting she'll always get it she always gets christmas cards she always gets presents she the, the, the kids um yeah they, they mean a lot to her. That's terrific, isn't it? And now you've got a business that you've started some years ago now, but it's called House Inspect Australia, and you've also opened a division called Pest Inspect Australia. Tell us a little bit about House Inspect Australia and what the differential is in your business rather than other um, house inspectors. What's the difference, Mike? Uh, look, so I started House Inspect Australia in uh, 2014. Again, as a, as a builder, um, and most builders would, you know, have this same story that whenever a friend or a family member is buying a house, they always say, "Can you come and have a look at it for me?" And and you you know, and you do. I sort of after I've done a few of these, oh, I actually don't mind doing this. It was probably uh, I didn't even know there was a, a thing about people doing pre-purchase building inspections. So well, I did some research about it and found out that it is. 
it is something that, that people do a lot. So I, I rang uh, licensing Okbar, they called in, in Adelaide, to find out what I needed to do to upgrade my licence. So I assume that, you know, if you've got a builder's licence, that's great. The next one is being a, a building supervisor, which means you can, um, in South Australia, um, sign off on different stages of the building to make sure it's done right. I naturally thought that the next level up would be an inspector. That would have to be you know, at the at the top end. And I found out there's actually no licence mm. in South Australia at all, all qualifications. Wow. It's, it's a completely 100% unregulated industry. So I thought, th- th- there's, there's our market, right? I mean, I'm a third-generation builder. If someone's going to get their, ha- their house inspected, surely they want to use a builder opposed to anyone from any other industry. So that's that's where we started. So so that's coming up eight years ago. Well, my wife absolutely backed me, Heather absolutely backed me, and I said, I'm going to leave my job and I'm going to go out and see if I can get one inspection a day, five days a week, and, you know, that'll that'll help us. Uh, that's enough money for us. That's what, what we need to cover our living expenses, and we'll see where it goes from there. So here we are eight years later and we've got about 13 inspectors and we're doing a 80, 100 inspections a week. Mm, wow. That's that's amazing. And, and I think some people would be amazed and shocked that there is no regulation around house inspecting, particularly when there's a whole lot of uh, risk involved and potential for buying something with a, a hidden issue um, that only a good mm-hmm. set of eyes can pick up. So your business is not just a business, but it's also providing something that's incredibly valuable to people who've who've invested a lot of money in things. Um, so so good on you, Mike. And then it's even got a bit further than, for want of a better word, just having a business and having other franchisees in the team. You've even been recognised in the state. Tell us about the uh, award for that. That needs to be told. Look, we're, we're very fortunate. We um, So in our business model, and as you said, um, touched on, we did franchise a, a couple of years ago, but I didn't want to cheapen our brand by just selling franchises to people. I wanted people to be uh, suitably qualified and licensed builders. So um, our first franchise that came on was a husband and wife team, Litzer and Barney. Barney uh, was from the from the building industry. Uh, Litzer wasn't. She worked for the federal government. She was a uh, she's from an accounting background. But Litzer, uh, she took twelve months of leave uh, without pay from her from her job. Went and studied. Got her own builder's license and became, uh, with our husband Barney, our first franchisee. Like, I mean, seriously, these guys are going wow. them up. So, so to the point that this year uh, we won for South Australia the Telstra um, 2022 Small Business Award for Accelerating Women. That's great. That's superb. And isn't it, isn't it great to see women in the building industry achieving things? That's that's extra good. So Absolutely. The females in the building industry, there's, there's more and more, which is great to see. There's uh, quite a few we're seeing now. There are site supervisors and project managers and so forth. But their attention to detail, and I, I don't want to make this, uh, it's not a sexist thing, boys, girls, whatever, but seriously, as we all know at home, um, with our wives and partners, their attention to detail far exceeds anything we can do. I mean, they're just a massive asset to anyone's business. A couple of other things, just... Firstly, I know from personal experience, you being a client of mine, that you've uh, you've also helped other people, Mike, and other causes. Mm-hmm. And it's really nice to see businesses getting involved in helping other people. What are some of those? So I don't want to blow your bags too much, but just some <laughs> of the things that you've been involved in in helping other other people. Uh, look, I mean, we've got one in particular, uh, the Rare Find Foundation, which is a, a charity that 
was started here in South Australia by Anna Packboy and uh, and her husband Mark. So I, I met them a couple of years ago. We did a pre-purchase building inspection for them, and then as you do with all your clients, you, you you talk to them not just about their house, but you know what they do, where they're from, life, family, and so forth. And I found out in my conversation with Mark uh, and his husband that they'd recently lost a child. It's something that just played on my mind for um, the coming weeks afterwards. And I rang Anna and said, "Look, I've been thinking about this a lot, and." I can't do anything to make things better, but what I can do is help get your name out there and and see if we can get some support to the charity and help raise some money. So um, we did that last year. We made a a, a small donation from from the company and uh, we've dedicated... 20% 20% of our radio advertising to the Rare Fine Foundation to, uh, to help promote them um, so people become aware who they are. And then this year, uh, October this year, we're having our, hopefully our, will be our first one, but hopefully it's our first annual Ambrose Golf Day at the Flagstaffield Golf Course um, with an aim to raise $20,000 for the charity. Well done. Well done, Mike. Being a client of mine, um, us working together on some of your goals, what's been the benefit um, for the Lead Australia process and the lunches and the people that we've introduced you to? And maybe give us a little bit of feedback on what you've benefited out of being a client of Lead Australia. Lunches are always good. We we like having a lunch, but it's um, I think there's a there's there's a few areas that that you certainly learn from by being a client. I mean, there's there's obviously there's lunches which are great. Uh, the networking that you get to to do with other other business owners, uh, owners, and then obviously the discussions that that we uh, get to ha- have with you. I mean, obviously you check in regularly with us just to see how we're going, not only as a business, but you know, as you know, how are you? How's how's everything else going outside of business? The the people we meet with networking is um, is really good as other business owners because we get to talk to them about their growing pains that they've had or uh, you know situations that they've come up with, whether it be a a staffing issue or, um, you know, a growth issue or economic pandemic, you know, everything that's gone on in the last couple of years. So sometimes you feel, as a, as a business owner, you, you, you can feel a bit isolated. So it's great to have other people, your clients and yourself, to have a chat to, bounce your ideas off, ask them if they come up with a particular problem that you might be facing at that time. The check-in, when we have chats, a lot of chats with you and we talk about our sales process or our lead process and that, and it's, Sometimes you need that reminder that if things aren't quite going right, go back and look at the plan, right? work out where you've gone wrong and then go back and start following the plan again. Business is very much like a sport, uh, like a game of football. Uh, it's, the, it's all the little one percenters that we, that we need to do that uh, make the big difference. Well, I've enjoyed our uh, professional relationship, Mike. I enjoy our personal relationship and our chats around uh, some of your personal goals as well. But thank you so much for coming on and uh, just for sharing your story. And uh, I'm sure some people will be very interested in um, uh, the fact that you are now pushing, rightly so, I must say, to get building inspections and inspectors in some form of legislation and uh, to improve the credibility, the the knowledge, uh, the expertise, so that uh, people can get a building inspector or a pest inspector and know that there's some licensing around that. So, But thank you, mate. I really Absolutely. appreciate your time and your friendship, and thank you for coming on today. I appreciate it. Thank you very much, Peter. Thanks for joining us for today's edition of the Business and Life Channel. For further information, extra learning and assistance with your business or life's journey and aspirations, 
Peter can be contacted at leadaustralia.com.au. That's leadaustralia, one word, .com.au. He'd be very happy to help. The information in this podcast can be downloaded for your personal use, but it cannot be reproduced in any form without the written consent of Lead Australia.